As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. On today's episode of Android's Dungeon, trading in the Mediterranean. The most exciting genre? Or the most exciting genre? Trading in Puerto Rico. Even better than the Mediterranean? And also discussion about resource management. Oh boy. Try not to fall asleep, folks. Stay tuned. to CFRU 93.3 FM. That's our totally new production board and sound effects. University of Guelph. Guelph, Guelph, Guelph. Listen to that. I think there's a there's a dinosaur in the background. <laughs> Some sort of turkey or chicken or... Uh, no, it is neither of those things. It is a chicken and a turkey, sort of. But uh, I am joined once again by our good friend and co-host, JJB. Hello. I'm back. Uh... Yeah, I guess he is. <laughs> yeah, miss me? <laughs> I'm starting yeah, to. Yeah, miss me. <laughs> Wait, was that a uh, StarCraft? No, no, it's about damn time. It's That's about a... damn time. Um, you were listening to Android's Dungeon, a show about games, movies, music, comic books. Uh, basically the things that uh, you all secretly love, and sometimes you pretend to love more than you actually do, but it's the stuff that we like very much. Uh, Joel, what have you been playing recently? Oh boy, Jackie Brawl, I've been playing a lot more Warcraft, but you knew that already. I know, and it's, it's, it makes me really happy because I, I, I found my CD keys because this was a bit of a saga. So I, I was telling Joel that I've, I've bought Warcraft and Frozen Throne twice, once for my brother and once for myself. And uh, so I've got these CD keys floating around, and now you can, you don't, you're not uh, at the mercy of the physical media anymore because you can download the clients from Blizzard's website. And if you've got the CD key, you've got a copy of the game. And uh, so I was just trying to track mine down, and I got mom, mommy, to send me a picture of the, the jewel cases that we were able to track down. And now they're locked to my account, and now I've got War 3 wherever we can, or wherever I am. I'm looking forward to getting back into it. But uh, Joel is way better at War 3 <laughs> than I can ever, ever hope to be. It's funny that they still have key-based games. I, mean, I remember the people used to just post them. Uh, and anything that was public, publicly posted... Yeah, everybody would jump on. Only one person could get on Battle.net at once, mm -hmm. but they would always get banned. Yep. I don't wonder how much Blizzard actually pays attention to that these days. I, I think it probably depends on the game. It's uh, if you're doing that in StarCraft two, you say goodbye. Yeah. Uh, wow. Again, although nobody's doing that for a while, I don't think because it's all the it's very the accounts are way different. I think than uh, maybe the average war or which is uh, funny because back in the day you had a CD, you buy a game. Yeah. Um, oh, and this brings up a really interesting point that we should talk about. Okay. Um, back in the day, you buy a game, you get the disc. Yeah. You play it. Great. Fun. Yeah. Lend you you put it, it in friend. and it worked. Yeah. Your friend can play it. Yeah. Why not? You've got the CD. They've got the CD. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, don't know if you know this. Um, our, friend, our good friend Josh Furrier looked it up the other day. Mm -hmm. But your Steam account, when you die, is disbanded <laughs> so you cannot pass on your games really yeah i didn't know about that uh after death inheritance aspect of steam are we are we 100 percent on this? thousands of dollars worth of games and you cannot pass them on you know and I, to be honest i'm kind of i'd like to see steam outlive me <laughs> well it's sort of like of a, course it's gonna outlive you jack <laughs> you're <Connor. laughs> uh-oh <laughs> But it does seem odd, and but that's what you're getting into something interesting here with the idea of like that's why a lot of people, uh, some more irrationally than others, hate Steam, and the whole sort of um, pivot towards the digital only medium because these EULAs they specifically say you don't own these games per se. <laughs> you may have paid money for them, you may have them on an account associated with all your stuff, but at the end of the day, like you're saying, they're not yours. We can revoke them at any time and 
I, I think we're. Yeah. It's funny the death thing because it's like you're buying the right to jump on. You're our buying a rights. That's right. With your account. Yeah, yeah. But it's still our game. And that's why. And like I, I'm not as anal about it anymore. But I used to be. I'm never buying digital media because I will. I want the hard copy in my hands so that I can reinstall it whenever I want. And it, I'm not at the mercy of someone like, let's take Prey, for example, the, the original Prey that came out in the early, I guess, mid-2000s. And um, you can't find it anymore. You cannot actually buy the game uh-huh. because uh, Activision, Activision Blizzard has memory hold it because they want to basically say, oh, forget about this old game we actually sold. <laughs> we want you to just think about the new game, new Prey. And their excuse is, we ran out of CD keys. We can't generate any more CD keys. It's impossible. You can't. It's 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 impossible. It's we can't. There's <laughs> no way. The original and something else. What if they're like 64-bit keys. Do you know how many you would have to Joel, make? there's a very, very small amount. And you know the fans of Prey are so numerous that they'd go through those. It's ridiculous. The original, um, oh, uh, the, uh I'm flubbing it. The uh, the game about the writer with the 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 ba- uh, who's lost his memory, his wife disappears. What's it? Bloody uh, Alan Wake. Uh, you cannot buy that anymore, I think, um, because it had licensed all his music for the game, and all the licenses have expired after X days. So now they cannot sell this game anymore, unless I'm mistaken, and they've just cut the game and removed all the licensed music, which makes more sense. But it's another example of the fact that if you have a physical medium of the game, nobody can stop that. Nobody can take that from you. But when you have a digital-only copy, it's like, let's say, PT, this incredible demo for a game that never came out, but by all rights was a great game on its own. Konami decides, uh, no, screw you, Hideo Kojima. We're, you, we, don't, we don't want you anymore. Cancels project, and then the demo's yanked. It's gone. So now you have these rare editions of PS4s floating around on eBay <laughs> where they have it installed. Oh, yeah. It's and on the hard drive. It's on the hard drive. Can we get a scum? Because I think we need a scum here. What sort of We're scum? Just thinking you... about all of these uh, game companies and their policies. Yeah. Let's, uh, makes, let's... Me, makes me think. Oh, that's, a, that's a wrong one. What, what do you think, Joel? What do you think about... Scum! Scum! I think they're scum! The scum. <laughs> So that's our Congrats. that's our scum of the week. Congratulations, <laughs> Steam. Congratulations, game people, <laughs> policy lawyers, whoever you are. It's we it's, think we don't own games after we buy them. Now that gets us onto I think a good subject that uh, nobody is taking Jack's board games away. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine opening up Caverna and the God. rights are gone? <laughs> There's nothing yeah. in there. It locks. It locks. <laughs> you try to open it, all falls apart. <laughs> it just disappears. <laughs> Um, yeah. Maybe so that's why we're all getting back into board games. I, I do think there's a, beyond the social element, it's the tangibility of it. Like the fact that you're interacting with a physical object and seeing things move um, is is a huge push, I think. And also the, the clarity of mechanics for the most part. I'm not saying that uh, picking up a GMT war game is going to be as accessible as playing, I don't know, Warcraft 3, but it, there's, there's something that about playing, let's say, a game like Concordia where you see everything right in front of you and there's nothing, there's no glitches, there's no backends. You're just, you're talking to people and you're moving pieces around. You can screw up the rules because you're human, but <laughs> you're allowed to make those moves and kind of play around with it. And it's just getting better and better. And the things you can touch. And I, was, I wanted to t- ask you about, you've decided to buy metal coins for Scythe? I want to. It's, it's, it's sitting in my shopping cart on, uh, I, I'd have to say they're from my favorite uh, online retailer. And they've got a storefront too, but I'm just going to show them anyway. Board Game Bliss, uh, very, very good company, great customer service, incredible selection too. And they're, if you, so if you email them, they will bring stuff in for you and it's cool. Uh, but anyway, they've got this metal coins for Scythe. And the reason it came up is because Clans of Caledonia, a Kickstarter game, uh, uh, Kale and I uh, got to play it finally uh, about two weeks ago. And it is, it came with, or uh, we backed the version with metal coins, and it is night and day. <laughs> just how nice it is having, and I'm not talking about just like the same thing as having loonies and toonies floating around. Totally different. It, they're designed around the game, and they just feel perfect. And yeah. there's something so satisfying about stacking them up and trading them in, and, and you're doing that thing with poker chips. Where you're going, the weight. The weight. The weight. But yeah, Scythe has metal coins options too, and I want them. That actually plays back into your original question to me, which we've... <laughs> we've we've jumped all over the place. Around, but yeah. let's go back to it. Um, what have I been playing lately? Is one game which blew my mind. Uh, our good friend Harry taught it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Puerto Rico. And the collector's edition does have metal coins right. for a cheap, cheap price of $550. Let me get my wallet out. <laughs> I'd rather just go to get actual Puerto Rican uh, currency. We for are there. tearing apart Kingdom Death saying no other game would ever be this expensive. And then I look at Puerto Rico. Oh, collector's oh, Now, hold on. Really now, now, to be fair, did it did it retail at 500 or was this just like this is the scalper's aftermarket yeah, stuff right now? Amazon rate. Yeah, Amazon. Jeez, oh, but um, Puerto Rico. Tell us about this because, for context, this is I think number fourteen on Board Game Geek top one hundred games of all time, and you see it constantly invoked and brought up by like people comparing it to uh, games to Puerto Rico and comparing the elegance of it. But describe Puerto Rico for our listeners, please. So Puerto Rico, I think, is number seven or something in this series of uh, Ravensburger has come up I'll with look this up. line of games, uh, <laughs> and they t- labeled them Aliyah, and every single game lines up beautifully, and every side of the box looks like it fits into the next one. It's yeah, so they're numbered. Cool. Yeah, they actually have. Uh, what number is it? So uh, let's pull up the large version because I am not. So it looks like number seven. Number seven, and did it come before or after San Juan? Uh, oh, it's definitely before. Okay, so yeah, so Puerto Rico number seven nailed it right off the top of my head. <laughs> um, every, so the thing about these games is the Leo runs them. Uh, they're they're all actually fairly different. I mean, you get a lot of resource management in them, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all crack the top 150 games of all time. Can you imagine? Well, except I think one or two are a bit of a miss right after Puerto Rico, but. Nevertheless, Puerto Rico, brilliant game. Simple, simple resource management game with layers. What are the layers, Joel? The layers are uh, you are basically chilling in Puerto Rico, and you get a whole bunch of plantations, and you get a whole bunch of buildings. And your plantations produce goods, which your uh, your buildings are fine, and then you send them out on ships to the old world. And basically every good you put onto a ship is a victory point, period. The layers come in because you need money to build these buildings. That's pretty tricky to get money. There are some specific buildings that give you money when you do certain things. But for the most part, what you need to do is trade. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a very simple, small trading slot. And if you trade corn, you get no money. Mm-hmm. You trade indigo, you get a dollar. You trade uh, indigo, sugar. What a bizarre resource, indigo. <laughs> that would yeah. be enough to make you... <laughs> yeah, blue was a really popular... <laughs> <laughs> uh, you trade sugar, you get two. You trade tobacco, you get three. You trade coffee, you get four. So is Something coffee the most valuable resource? Coffee is where it's at. Yeah. As far as goods go. So basically... But the thing is, you can only trade in one when you go trade... And one type or one period? One period. Okay. And once that good is in the trading area, which there's four slots, mm-hmm. no one else can trade that good. It always has to be different. So if you, everybody's taking turns, and right now it's in the early in the game, and indigo is pretty cheap, so everybody has indigo, and you go to trade and you put an indigo in there, and every, no one else has anything else, well, that's it. It's over. And that's where it comes in where you really want to think about... um, Let me take a step back. Okay. When you pick an action, which there's seven actions you can do, uh, you put it in front of you, and everybody gets to do it in order. You get to do it first, and you get a special bonus on top of that for being the person that picked it. Mm -hmm. Um, And everybody basically each picks an action. So if it's a four-player game, each there would be four actions in a round, and then there would be three sitting there left over. You put some bonus money on them, and you start again. Uh, the seven actions are fairly simple. Put things on ships. Get a new plantation. Get a new building. Uh, go sell stuff at the trading thing. But if you see everybody else can't do the action, and you can, but it's not necessarily the best action for you, mm-hmm. it might be because you're getting ahead and no one else's. So there's no direct take that. It's a very much a euro. Yeah. But there is an indirect take that. Which is, would you say, putting stuff on a ship? So if you see, let's say, Joel has Mr. Coffee over here, and you just have one coffee, and the ship's 
everyone if everyone puts stuff on a ship before you get to it and you're like the odd man out and you can't sell the one good you've got because you didn't diversify is that like a, would you call that this sort of indirect take that or absolutely so these ships and obviously you can put you basically we load up ships until nobody can load up ships anymore yeah um, so what you choose first is very much strategic uh, in that sense that you're describing. And the thing about ships is it's the opposite of the trading post. Ships all need to have the same good. Mm. There's three ships, Jack. Guess how many types of goods there are. <laughs> it's not three. <laughs> so if, uh, Somebody's if someone's out, sitting over here with a whole bunch of coffee, it doesn't matter what it is because they're all worth one. Yeah. That's the interesting thing. If you want to rush to coffee, good for you, but you're not getting any more victory points. Not from the ship stuff Only for money. Yeah. Um, so say this guy's sitting on five corn mm-hmm. uh, and everybody else fills up, goes before him and somebody puts indigo, somebody puts coffee, somebody puts tobacco. Yeah. Well... There's no slot for the corn. You know what happens after the ship phase? Not at all. The ship sets sail, Jack. I thought it just sinks in the port. I don't know. (laughs) So it goes away. If they're full, if they're full, they set sail. Yeah. And anything you have left is gone. What do you mean anything you have left? You get to keep one single good, not even a single type of good, but you get to keep one good back at home and everything else goes bad. Oh, really? So is, is, sorry, how many ships are there? Three ships. So three ships. So is it when one ship takes off, then all your stuff spoils? Uh, at the end of the ship round, no matter what ships take off, all your stuff spoils. Oh, interesting. So sorry, is the ship round, is this uh, like an action, like follow the yeah, leader type thing? just an action like all the rest of them. So this is, that sounds really mean then, because you could see people who maybe um, weren't able to get any of their goods on there, and you play the ship action and they have to get rid of all the stuff they yeah. poorly managed or not held on or not sold. Yeah, so don't hold on to things, right? Yeah. Um, but you can definitely get screwed, but there are ways to work around it. So mm-hmm. let's back up a bit. Um, there are these great buildings, and there's buildings for everything. Uh, there's one every time you get a plantation, you get a person. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, because obviously uh, you need a person on each thing. Is that how you in take order the action? To make it work. Oh no! For you need to have a person in the building. Nothing works unless it has a person on it. Does the person stay there forever? Like once you put someone there, the building is considered always active, or do they disappear? So, the way people work, because mm-hmm. it's kind of a, in a sense, it's a worker. Um, <laughs> it's a gaining worker and placing worker. <laughs> but it's not workplace. It's not. I, I want to avoid the yeah. term worker placement because it's very it's much too generic. Not that. Yeah, yeah. It's very much not that. And that um, every time somebody plays the mayor action, everybody gets a dude. And on top of that, the most important thing is at that point, you can rearrange all your dudes. Mm-hmm. So let's say you, at the beginning of the game, got a couple corn plantations, and those don't need buildings, so you put your dudes on that. So you had two dudes, mm-hmm. each on a corn. That time, that way, every time someone produces, you get, the corn. You get two corn. Let's say you want to upgrade. You've started to get some sugar plantations. You bought a sugar mill. You're ready to roll, but you don't have any people on it. So somebody plays mayor. You're done with the corn. You jump off the corn. You jump onto the sugar. The person who plays the mayor gets an extra man. Okay. So this, you've kind of, you've got a whole bunch of buildings and plantations, but they don't actually do anything until they're populated. It's not that difficult. It's it's not even a major part of the game, really. Mm -hmm. But it is something you have to consider where you you basically, you get a new building. Oh, great. I got a new building. I have this new function. Yeah. And going back to losing all your stuff, you don't lose anything if you have a warehouse. You can keep any one type of good. Oh, so you could stump, or, like, can you move at any t- point or do you have to activate the warehouse or have somebody in it to use it? So that's the thing is if you don't have anyone in it, it's useless. <laughs> no one's working there. The door's locked. You can't <laughs> rush in before the ship's about to go. It's like... <laughs> Exactly. So you where, you where you might want to use this person to produce more corn, mm-hmm. uh, you might need him just sitting there in the warehouse doing nothing just in case you get screwed in the shipping phase. Now, to me, describing the warehouse and this may be getting a little too meta or into strategy, the warehouse is almost like a, a safety net. Like if you're playing well, you don't need a warehouse. Absolutely. You I did not have a warehouse all game. So you're saying you're playing well, Joel? Um, I'd say so. There you go. Yeah. Great. But yeah, it's, it's almost like... Um, you, if you don't feel confident or maybe you're playing with some hyper-aggressive strategy players who are just constantly, like, 
going after you and making you attempt to lose stuff, then I think warehouse maybe is a safe thing to have if you can't survive a, a round with all your goods. But I don't, again, I may be overthinking this game that I, that I haven't yeah. played yet. And there's layers. There's a large warehouse where you can keep two types of goods. There's uh, there's a port where every time you, you put a good on a ship, you get an extra victory point, which is huge. Mm-hmm. But it costs eight or something crazy like that. And then at the end, at the, at the top thing, there's all these, you know... Um, Terraforming Mars, you can get those sort of awards. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of thing. So uh, first person to do X. Big buildings, double sized building, and so they take up more space in your city. Mm-hmm. But they get you victory points at the end of the game. Do all buildings give you victory points? They do. Yeah. So there's four tiers of buildings, mm-hmm. and each one is one, two, three, or four victory points. Interesting. Straight up. And then on top of that, some of them give you more. That's and just like for people who haven't seen what it looks like, everyone has their own board, correct? And then there's a central board that has all the different types of buildings or things to buy, essentially. But you're you're building a city, aren't you? Or like a, a little country on your own board in front of you? Yeah, so I, sh- I should describe the personal board. The personal board is the top half is a city with empty slots. Where you just put buildings. Mm-hmm. And the bottom half is this nice big open field, which mm-hmm. is basically, I guess, the island. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you're just putting plantations there. It's It sounds like it's right up my alley. Everything about it just makes That's me fantastic. perfectly happen. I love seeing things. I've said it before, but I love seeing things build in front of you when you're playing a game and not Getting in the sense an engine of going right well not even just a, a specific engine but i like seeing the, the which is why i love civilization games and why i love city building games is that you start with something that's there's very there's virtually nothing but then the board gradually grows and you get to see this like this representation of the the plantation or whatever developing in front of you and you can look at okay I've got these buildings here and it just looks cool and it feels cool and you've got the engine building aspect which is nice because like and did you find because some games like let's say Splendor for example by the time the engine starts the game ends which is something that I feel kind of is um, I like Splendor, but it's, it's it's rare that I play it and I feel like, oh boy, that was a full steam ahead thing versus <laughs> just like I barely got it. I turned the key and then somebody else was already at the finish line. Oh, you should try to play into 20. It's good. Yeah. But uh, no, I think uh, Puerto Rico, yeah. Um, it's kind of, we almost thought at one point that we were going to have everything maxed out but still not have victory points. But then all of a sudden this, this huge explosion of everybody getting victory points mm-hmm. triggered and that ran us to the end of the game. I'll, gi- I'll give you the end game conditions. One is uh, you run out of people. Mm-hmm. So people are a finite resource. And From the de- center. Yeah. And depending, about, depending on the amount of players, you put X amount in. Oh, interesting. Um, the second is you run out of victory points. You okay. run out of victory point tokens. Whoever is left to grab victory points is out of luck but still gets what's on their board. So you can actually not get victory points because <laughs> there's there's not enough to go around. Yeah, so it actually happened in the shipping phase where I triggered the captain, which is ship set sail, uh-huh. uh, put a bunch of stuff on, got a bunch of victory points, and then uh, the other two p- players got some, and then Harry was left with one victory <laughs> point left on him. So he grabbed his one and was sad. It, it, when was the last time you played a game where victory points were, like, you're, you're out of luck? Finite, yeah. Which is more like, um, I guess you can say there's just there's so many end conditions just staring you right in the face, and it, it gets brought up too much. But I'm, I'm just thinking of Scythe a lot while we're talking about this, and it's, that's definitely a resource management game. We're going to talk about that a little bit uh, in the second half of the show. But it's it just sounds like um, you, you can see the end at all times because you can see the people disappearing, yeah. you can see the victory point pile disappearing. You can what was the other one? You the other victory or end game? Uh, I think there's a third one. It might have to do with uh, buildings, but uh, yeah. so when X piles close, are empty yeah. or something. Yeah. So just like it's something where you can just see like it's similar to Scythe, where you you everything seems to be fine for a second, and then all of a sudden. All these stars start appearing, and you're starting to sweat because you're like, "Oh no, do I get another round?" Because everyone's engine has come online. Because you always have all these plans, and then you all of a sudden you realize, "I don't have time." Yeah, it was like uh, so. Joel played uh, Puerto Rico this week, and yesterday uh, we played Concordia together. Yeah, uh, four-player game of Concordia. Speaking of games ending before you, like you needed one more before you're ready. Yeah. <laughs> before you're ready, and to be fair, like I, I did it, but it's just I was trying to stop the bleeding from everyone else doing better. So, <laughs> uh, even though it was a lame last action, but 
Um, Concordia, we're also going to discuss a little more as an example of resource management game, uh, which kind of, I've got a description up here that we'll, we'll talk about later, but um, I think we've talked about Concordia a bit on the show already, but again, it's another, uh, I'm going to reaffirm how good of a game it is and just how every round, and I'm talking about every card you play for the most part, feels like you should be doing something great. And even when you're failing like I am, it's you still are you still feel part of it for the most part. And like I think the only time I was my my I screwed up my uh, farmer thing, and I should have been getting tons of wheat every time I did that. Like and the weaver as well. But beyond that, it's just it's such a tight, interesting game full of great decisions and a great amount of randomization. Not in the sense of it's wacky. Oh no, I don't know anything. No, you, there's <laughs> certain things you understand, but it's different, similar but different every game. Um, but Joel, how did you find this this most recent playthrough of Concordia? Concordia is definitely quickly climbing the ranks as one of my favorite games of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I can't say where it is now. I have to reorganize my list. But yeah. <laughs> um, it's so good, and and just like you say, like there's just there's nothing mysterious in yeah. the game. You know uh, what to expect. Yeah. Um, the elements of challenge and uh, the unknown is the other players which is always good it's always good to have okay i know that there's some potential for x cards to come out yeah and i can wait for them try to buy them or i can try to do other things like expand exactly Um, and you're always deciding and this is the key to resource management i think is you're always deciding what to do with your stuff because there's three different things you can do Mm mm-hmm which is the I think where I f- my problem with Concordia is I don't play it enough or play it frequently enough. I think I've probably played about I feel like six times maybe total, but it's always with these huge gaps in between of months. So yeah. every time it's kind of like I'm trying to remind myself what I did wrong, and I feel like I keep doing the same thing. <laughs> Even though I have to say, final score is very tight. Very it was tight. not. I thought I was going to be way behind, but um, it, it, there's there seems to be certain paths that everyone should sort of be taking off the, out of the get go, but. I'm not nearly at the level because something else I, we've kind of said a bit about Concordia and I'm just going to quickly go over what the main thing is but basically it's Mediterranean and there are different maps which are really cool depending on for different players and different layouts and uh, the Mediterranean is split into different provinces of different colors and each province you have cert, uh, there's they're lettered and you go into a pile and you randomly associate certain letters on this place and you flip them all over and that's where the goods are. So uh, in Britain can have some bricks in it. Um, and it can be other stuff too. And there's steel and there's wheat and there's cloth and wine. Um, and basically in order to, what you're doing is you're sending out these little colonists and little boats around. And um, what's neat is you're not landing on spaces. You're always in between two spots. And um, in order to do anything in this game, you have this hand of cards, and each one of them lets you do something specific to the game, which you would take for granted, let's say, in a worker placement game, which is moving a worker or using a building or doing stuff. So you play a card, and it's gone forever until you play another card called Tribune, which allows you to take all your discarded cards back into your hand. But in a sense, once you play that card, you're out of luck unless you buy more cards that are usually superior versions of that. In order to do that, there's this tiered deck, which is something that is very, very good, and I wish more games did, like Terraforming Mars, where you go through and you have Tier 1. Is there Tier 1 or is it just 2 and 3? Yeah, so Tier 1 is almost entirely out on the board at the start. Yeah, I yeah. Think there's one or two cards that stay in the deck. Yeah, exactly. So you have Tier 1 cards, which are considered to be, okay, they're balanced for the beginning of the game. You have Tier 2, which is for beginning middle game, and then Tier 3 are the end game cards, which are all designed about uh, trying to take advantage of the bigger things that you may have been working toward. In order to buy these cards, another great thing the game does, which I wish, I just don't know why more games don't do this, is that you have this, so you have a market row, which can be random as hell and can really kick your ass if you don't know what's going on, but the game has it tiered. So the first two cards are always cheap, in the sense you only pay whatever the card asks you to buy. But as you go down the row, there are extra costs associated with it. So if you really want that card at the end, you can decide to pay way too much for it and have it in your possession, and nobody else can get it if you get to it first. Yeah. But if or you, you want something, the console, which makes you, you exactly don't have to pay those extra costs at the bottom. But the console only comes out for the third tier three, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it was a tier three. So that's another example of the way the game is balanced, and that's it's good randomization because 
the bad luck can be mitigated by, so the card you really need, oh, it didn't come up in the first few rows, you can't afford it, or can you? You, you plan around it, you produce the resources, you sell the resources necessary to make it happen, and then you can kind of guide your own fate. And that's something that the game just, there's so much going on, I feel like, at all times that I, I'm just, I, yeah. I'm kind of in my early days of scythe mode where it's just like, I don't know what to do, so I'm trying to do everything, and none of it's really working. But Yeah, and what's great is there's lots of ways to get the goods that you need. Yeah. Uh, one is obviously build a build a little hut on that place and yep. take it. You can also just take resources uh, somewhere you don't even, you aren't even there. Just if you really need a, a cloth one, or tool yeah, or something, exactly. you can grab it. Um, but what I really like you can go to the market too. is that you get all this stuff yep. and then you think, okay, okay, well, you shouldn't have gotten to the point where you have the stuff and you're wondering what to do with it. <laughs> I'll take it a step back and say, now you've screwed up. Yeah. But once you have all this stuff, I'm yeah. like, I mean, you start with stuff, so you got to decide what to do with that. Mm. Now you got to look at it and say, okay, what can this do? I have these people on the map. Yeah. Where can I move them in order to spend this money? And these goods mm -hmm. to build another thing. Yeah. Or what's on the card line? Mm -hmm. What can I spend this goods on to buy those cards? And how will those cards benefit me? And, and that's the thing. I think, and and this is my, my one complaint with Concordia, is that I find the um, the victory point modifiers from the, the senator cards or the whatever you want to call the top things, I find them to be, as someone who doesn't play the game enough, to be a little unclear for my liking. It's... The, the again I've complained they use Roman god names which drives me crazy <laughs> I'm so used to Greek <laughs> god names and it's just so frustrating think Saturnus what what a strange one star you give you <laughs> Roman god it just nobody does it why did you <laughs> like I get the era makes sense but it just <laughs> drives me nuts but the the thing is you look at them and they are printed on the cards but I mean, we do start in Rome yeah it's, <laughs> I don't care I, the Greek names everyone's accepted them we all say Hades nobody says uh, Pluto alright so let's call it a day um, but for me, these the scoring modifiers, it's just, I find them to be a little, uh, not obtuse, but just for somebody who doesn't play it enough, I look at them and I, I have a hard time sort of turning what's on these cards into what I should be doing on the board when I think the card should be determining everything you're doing in the game. You should look at the line and see what's up there and then start planning accordingly and going, but you need certain things to plan accordingly. You need your brick. You yep. need your wheat. You need and that's the thing. There's layer upon layer. Right? Like, yeah. When you're going there to buy the card, you think, okay, this card goes right into my hand. I can yeah. play it immediately yeah. next turn. How does it help me? Or eh, maybe this card doesn't help me at all. But like you say, it's got those victory points right on yeah, it. Every yeah. card is a multiplier for victory and points. And this is the thing about it. So you, you can have multiple ways. So every way imaginable you can score, you score. Some are way better than others. And the game is, I think this is a kind of a, a, a Mac gets trademark of sorts is that if you're hold he doesn't like you holding on to money at the end of games it's it's the it's a victory point for every 10 bucks but that's awful and it's, you can't get more and you can't get more and if you're holding on to that much money i feel like you've screwed up somewhere even though like sometimes there's a last minute dash because you sell all your goods at the end and all that stuff but they're having different goods having x type of good um, being in different provinces having lots of people out there having lots of uh, shops all across the board all these things can be scored and added multiple bonuses on top of. Yeah. So you can be like timesing things by four for every, uh, I don't know, <laughs> for every cloth you've got. I don't know. It's so Five, satisfying in games, especially like in, in any game with resources where like I think of Agricola, I think of Waterdeep, I think of all these games where you end the game with nothing. Yeah. You know, because then you think, okay, I got everything I needed and I spent it. I yeah. don't have anything hanging on. Exactly. And that's, some games want you to have, and I guess there's like an informal production round in some of these games, but it's just like, just take the money you would have gotten as yeah. if you just sold all these things. But it feels good to have, like, going back to the whole engine idea, and maybe we're kind of just treading on or stomping on our second half here a little bit, but it feels good to have your, to have your, delivery truck empty of goods because it means you you've already made <laughs> and sold and gotten rid of them and you've just you've succeeded in your mission hopefully yeah and you got something you got a hut out there yeah you got whatever card you needed um but obviously there's the third option is something that it's kind of we didn't really think about the first couple of games in fact i think we just completely ignored 
But the fact that you can, so you've got your first option, which is go somewhere, build a thing. Mm -hmm. You get your second option, which is go somewhere, take a card. Yeah. Uh, then there's the third option, which is either once you're done and you give up and you want to start, you grab your yeah, hand yeah. cards again. Or if you end up getting one of those, um, what's it called, where you get a lot of the dudes. Pardon me? Where you get a lot of dudes. Colonists? Colonists. Or, yeah. There's a colonist card where you need a combination of exactly two tools, or sorry, two goods, and one of them is needed for a lot of stuff, and yep. that's grain. And then tools, which is pretty obscure, and you don't really end up because why wouldn't you go for cloth? Yeah. Or even wine if you can't get cloth. Yeah. Uh, tools is like kind of this weird thing in the middle, but tools is very valuable in that you can make more peoples. More manzies, and uh, I don't know if you know this about me, Jack. I don't know if you played any games with me, but I love making manzies. <laughs> and the best thing about making manzies is you get one move per man. Yeah, so it all, all it sudden, all compounds. Yeah, you, when you go to to expand and build out and look at what goods I have and what money I have and where I can go, all of a sudden that third element where I can go yeah. is just about anywhere. And, and that. So much better, and it, you you don't appreciate until you actually have done it. But the ability to move large distances becomes very very important, and uh, especially using going back to the colonist card too, which allows you to build in your city. Doesn't normally what happens is if you take the card that lets you take all your cards back, you have the option to as well build another person if you have the tool and weed again. In that case, they start in Rome, Aroma, Aroma, Aroma. Uh, but if you use the colonist card, any place where you've built. Um, a little house, you can put that worker down, which if you've, I think that's a good example of like some higher level player. Maybe this is just like basic stuff. For me, it sounds like higher level, but to specifically build in certain places with the anticipation of using a colonist so you can send that person out and keep going that way as opposed to having to send, or like not having the moves necessary or not having the guy available to actually go out that well, far. There's always this waste of a move where you got to get off Rome. Yeah. Or off your city. So that kind of alleviates that too. You're mm -hmm. already almost where you need to go. Yeah, exactly. You're right on the fringe of your empire, if right. you will. And yeah, you're, you're pushing out instead of starting in the middle again. So in case you can't tell, like Concordia, very good game. There's a lot to it. It's not even that complicated. It's um, There might be parts that people might stumble on. And you can play it two players. So that's another big feather in its cap because... And it's even designer, right? Because I think you can flip yeah. the board over and it's got the two-player... Not the specific two-player map, but the one that's designed around lower player counts and still plays perfectly fine with it. You lose some of the interactivity and uh, sort of the, the take that aspect of, oh, man, I'm the third person or fourth <laughs> person to build on this. I can't afford that because things get more expensive the later you are on it. But uh, um, Another one of the things we haven't mentioned about Concordia before we go uh, for the break is um, it's really well respected in uh, international gaming now and competitive gaming. Yeah. We, it's so much so that uh, I guess we can call him friend of the show, uh, Clint, is anticipating going to Concordia championships or not championships, whatever, like tournaments in, yeah. uh, in the States and Philadelphia or something coming up, which is... I'd love to watch it. I'd like to see, yeah. I'm not going to go there in person, but I'd like to see what it actually looks like to see high-level Concordia play, which it says something that there's, it's a game that's not, to be fair, they play Munchkin in Vegas. So it's, it's, we have to be, <laughs> oh fair, we have to be clear here, but to, but well, for, they like to gamble and they like <laughs> random things. So. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's right up its alley, actually. And the house always wins. Yeah. So, but to see a game that is at least considered by people who play it, um, on a scale to be balanced and competitive enough and sufficiently different to, it, like, it's not solved by any means, to play on a, broad, a wider scale to actually have people compete yeah. in the game, which I think is incredible. And I was curious how we did, how we, stu how we stacked up. So I looked up the scoring. And, oh, geez. Uh, I guess in the manual, uh, there's an Gives example the game, and it says 115. Okay. Um, even people bragging about it in Board Game Geek, oh, I got this score, are still saying between 100 and 130 points. So 136 would be kind of like the golden standard. I think you did everything perfectly. Uh, we had just under 100, so I think we're Okay, fine. that's fine. And, um, all right. So on that note, we're going to take a quick musical break, and we'll be back in a moment to discuss resource management thing. Stay tuned. We felt a night 
The captain is a one-armed dwarf. He's throwing dice along the wharf. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. So take this ring. real different around these parts. On any other world, I'd be like uh, millions of years old. But here on Sakaar. In any case, you know this, uh, this, uh, you call yourself Lord of Thunder. God of Thunder. <laughs> I've never met this man in my life. He's my brother. Adopted. Is he any kind of a fighter? <laughs> you take this thing out of my neck and I'll show you. Oh, listen to that. He's threatening me. Hey, Sparkles, here's the deal. If you want to get back to Ask's uh, place, Asperg. As God. Any contender who defeats my champion, their freedom they shall win. Fine, then point me in the direction of whoever's ass I have to kick. That's what I call contender. Direction would be, would be this way, Lord. Ah, Loki! Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. Uh, what you just heard was Singapore from the incomparable Tom Waits or Cookie Monster. I'm not sure who we, who we listened to. <laughs> was that or a Sesame Street character? And that was quickly followed by a clip from Thor Ragnarok, the, one of the best scenes in the movie, I think, just the, with uh, Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster. And <laughs> just, just watching it is making me laugh. <laughs> it's just so strange. <laughs> <laughs> they gotta make a Grandmaster movie or something. Just, just him walking around saying weird shit. Yeah, just give it to him. Just give him an entire movie to <laughs> just make his weird music and vaporize people with a weird <laughs> stick. I don't know. Um, so what we were going to discuss and what we are going to discuss is resource management for games. And before we get going, I'm just going to read something that a random person on Reddit posted. And he's got five points two years ago, so this must be good. <laughs> this is the real deal. This is the real deal. So resource management, this is his distinction between them and worker placement, because it is kind of important to differentiate between them, because they can seem very similar uh, to the untrained eye. But uh, in this case, resource management by user Glenn Curio, scroll, scroll, scrolls on Reddit. Players inch, uh, produce resources through some unspecified means. The resources are, this, are then spent to buy other things, which may include ways to generate more resources or other resources. Eventually, resources will be used to move you towards some victory condition, or they may be worth victory points themselves. So that's a resource management uh, definition. Worker placement. Everybody has one plus workers. Players assign their workers to do specific tasks available from a common pool of choices available to all players, usually but not necessarily via the physical act of placing the worker out of location. There is usually some element of blocking, and in my opinion and many others, there has to be an element of blocking. This can be very strict, like Agricola, or somewhat restrictive, like Keyflower or Ancient World, I've never even heard of that game, or relatively mild, Euphoria which is a game we haven't played, but that's a Stone Mayor. I think that was Jamie Sigmeier's uh, first game, or one of his first. Another way to think of worker placement is action drafting. And I think that's where I'll stop there, uh, even though I'm seeing like action draft brought up a couple of times here. Um, action drafting, I like it. I've never um, heard that phrase. I have another definition. Right? Okay. Um, no, it's this. It's it's essentially in the same vein, but I really liked... Uh, is it as random he, as he his put Reddit it user? very simply. Yeah. Uh, this is McFage... <laughs> Making a comment on March 28, 2015 Wait, what, at 6.49 p.m. <laughs> oh, that's too and, late. Um, on a Reddit. Okay, it's another Reddit comment. Good. <clears throat> and it, it's it's so simple, and I, le I love the way he says it because, um, as you know, uh, we as have you know. a good friend that we <laughs> went to see yesterday, and she is, uh, what is her line of work? Um, are you talking about HR? 
Yeah. yeah. What is HR? Uh, human resources. Oh, no. It all worker sense. placement. <laughs> She's she a worker placement in management. real life. <laughs> She's managing us. We're a resource. <laughs> and so even though so a worker placement is a resource management game, yeah. but your resources are your men, okay. your people, yeah, yeah. your little meeple characters that you put down. And here's the difference between resource management and worker placement. Aside from the blocking, which you talked about, which right. is super key. Uh, with worker placement, things you manage don't get consumed. Okay. You assign them to tasks just like you're buying something with them, uh -huh. but you get them back. Right. That's an interesting description. And that's, it makes mostly sense because if you think about the vast majority of worker placement games, it's you get you put them down and it's, an, it's assumed you're getting them back at the end of the round or whatever. Yep. Um, I think Keyflower throws that on its head because, <laughs> and it's another example of why the game is so good, Madness. is that it's, you are, you're using your workers as a resource <laughs> because yeah. they can disappear. You use them to bid on tiles, and but then you can use them to activate tiles. But if you use it for another person's tile, it's theirs at the end of the round. If you use it on your own, you get it back at the end of the round. Yeah. So it, it's it weird. And there's this other thing where like you can use them to bid, but if you lose the bid, you get them back. Yeah, exactly. They, you never lose them if your, your bid is unsuccessful. I believe. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's Keyflower. But resource management, I think, typically is a heavier game genre than something like worker placement. Usually, yeah. Usually. And I'm just, we've got a list of uh, some stuff here that we've both been looking at. We obviously want to, in front of everybody hasn't played a resource management, wants to get introduced, mm -hmm. uh, come up with some that are on the easiest end. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think is the easiest, simplest resource management, aside from Settlers of Catan? Um, it's tough because you, you want to do something that's not obtuse. Um, and I'm just looking through this list right now and trying to see, like, it's interesting. They've got Viticulture as a resource. Splendor. And Splendor. Ooh. Now, I guess Splendor, I, I don't know if, would you put Splendor as a resource management game? I think it's the purest resource management because that's all you get. It's yeah, all you just, get. That's all you spend. All right. So then why don't we say this? We'll say, I think for introductory games, Splendor is as simple as you can get. Yep. And minus people, every just like in the Matrix, everyone falls for the first time. Just like in Splendor, everyone gets confused about yeah. cards. All <laughs> you're gaining and all you're losing is colors. Yeah, that's it. And if you have a card, you keep that card always. It never it never goes yeah. away. Don't try to spend the card. Don't it's spend fine. the card. Just hold on. Just to hold it. on it's to a it. Bonus. And, Things uh, get free sometimes. And you and the other rule that everyone falls down on the first time is that, or it seems like everyone I've taught it to. Maybe I'm just screwing up my own uh, explanations. Are the way the Lords work. Just having the gems doesn't count for the Lord. It's meant <laughs> yeah. to be cards. Well, I have three of each of these colors. Three <sighs> you, points. You did well. Good for you. But uh, anyway. Spend them on something. Um, okay. So let's let's talk with the, oh, I think. cool. So Splendor is simple, like, introduction to this. Because um, like we said, it's just gems. They're your raw resource. You get more of them. You turn it into cards, which are better and better, and that stay with you the whole time. So you're building an engine right in front of you. Right next to it, I think, is a perfect example of something that we love and I think is p <laughs> almost purely a resource game that someone has managed to trick you into thinking it's something more is Scythe. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Scythe show the again. Scythe show. <laughs> Here we are talking about Scythe again. It, it's coincidence. can't avoid it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is, it is simply a coincidence that Scythe <laughs> is being brought up so many times because it crosses so many genres. That's the reason why for so many it things. just works and it's so simple. Um, at, at its core, I think some people's eyes, like my parents' eyes, will bulge if I set it up in front of them. But then yeah. if they realize what it is, it'd be, oh, that's not that actually bad. But Scythe, you're, you're just getting resources, and you're using those resources to turn things into other things, and you're always grinding towards more resources. And there yeah. has to be a couple wrinkles in there involving some fighting maybe here and there and um, some encounters and stuff. But the encounters are all resources. That's, yeah. that's everything it is is based around that. So... Um, I would probably recommend Scythe as a... Even your power and your popularity, even though it's on a chart. It's a resource. It's You're using it. It's a resource. Yeah, yeah exactly. You spend it, you gain it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, now, this one, I think the obvious one for most people, but the problem is... I Taking it to the extreme. It, to the extreme. Um, unfortunately, I don't really... I've only played it once, and I, I did not enjoy it, to be honest, but it's because we were all learning, and I found it very dry, but... Not fun. Not fun. Um, there's got to be a clip we can do for not fun or no fun allowed or something <laughs> along those lines. Uh, Terra Mystica. Now, this is a game that people swear by, and it's another game people play in tournaments, even though I think it's, I feel like it's borderline solved, but it, I don't know. Like, each race, That's you should be always say. doing something. There's a hierarchy. There's a hierarchy, and some races are better than others, but um, 
without going too far away, the Gaia Project, or Gaia Project, however you want to pronounce it, which is the sequel to Terra Mystica, also retailing for like 106 bucks, which is crazy, but I, I want to see the tomb. A bargain. I want to see the the content of that box. <laughs> I have a feeling it's going to be crazy, unless it's like, whew, like light as a feather and I just got hosed. But anyway, it's supposed to be a sequel, and it's randomized, so the board is going to be different, and it comes with all 14, um, or 14 different factions, which, whereas Terra Mystica, the original, only has... So it's considered like somebody throwing in an expansion right with it. But anyway, Terra Mystica at its core is a resource management game of getting things, turning into other things, which helps you get more things to turn into other things before the game ends, hopefully. Um, but it's also uh, it's like... Good old Puerto Rico's in there. Puerto Rico. Uh, they put Power pow- Grid. Power Grid in there. Single resource. Well, it's sort Energy. Of, it's energy, but you've also got all the stuff to power your plants. So you've got the oil or the gas or the... Um, That's true. Yeah, that, and you're also paying attention to the market prices on that. So there's, a, which gets into the idea that there is a solid economic angle to resource management for a lot of games. Um, Clans of Caledonia, for example, um, and Navigator as well. There's a limited um, sort of representation of the market itself, where that by selling goods, you are flooding the market and making them less valuable. Uh, by buying the goods, you are creating demand, and the value of them goes up. So yeah. that you can play with the market to an extent to try to affect prices, um, which is something that I think the game... I, I really enjoy limited stuff like that. I don't want to be bra- banging my head like against the stock market necessarily, but... Uh, well, the funny thing uh, about resource management is aside from a game like Splendor, which uh, we could say is just gaining and losing resources, yeah. um, resource managements can't function... Like the, the function... the um, the essence of resource management can't function on its own. Uh-huh. It seems like it's always uh, within another game. So resource management is the central play yeah, type. Good point. But you've always got to have some kind of map or something, uh, some somewhere to spend the resources. Exactly, and that's a good point because I'm starting to think of it now too. It's like uh, even my beloved Food Chain Magnet is still sort of a resource management game because you, you can make money without it, but for the most part, you need to generate the resources you need to generate the demand, and your resources go away, um, regardless of whether you sold them or not. And, and it's also uh, very much a human resource matter. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's you an have HR that game because you are gaining and losing uh, your people in your deck. So you got to keep that in mind. Um, Martin Wallace, one of my favorite designers, has made basically a career out of resource management games. Um, Steam, which I was talking about, I think a bit earlier, or no, it was last night I was talking about, um, is a very like a, 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 you're building a route to transport basically resources from one spot to the other to fulfill contracts and make money and it's you're you're managing the resources the most literal way possible is and you're moving them uh, via nebula i think does something very similar but it, and is much cuter but it's a very different game and it has this action selection similar to puerto rico which is actually on this list as well because that's another resource management resource game. management so what we're seeing is there are a lot of resource management absolutely games. Uh, one of the core original resource management games, which uh, we're not huge fans of, but we have to give it credit where credit is due, is Settlers of Catan. And yep. that was sort of the game back in the day. It's gonna, maybe it's responsible for the resurgence of board games and the reason why we can have a show. Mm. So maybe we should give it some respect. I think no one can disrespect Catan because it's it's OG. OG, so, yeah. So you gotta you got to give it props for what it's done in this game. Yeah. But... At the end of the day, it's not a good game. It's not, and yet there's still these competitive tournaments. That not only there's tournaments, Insane. but there's tournaments with qualifying tournaments to get to the tournament. It's it's the only reason is because it's so popular, and yeah. it, I'd like to. I want to see a Catan tournament. I want to see what it's like in real life, just to get a feel for what these people are actually doing at this level. Because I prove me wrong, folks. Prove me wrong. <laughs> But it, to me, it just seems like a crazy example of something for a tournament. But it'd be like playing Machi Koro in a tournament. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got the tuna boat. Yeah. Istanbul's on there. That's great, though. And Istanbul, I, it's, I think it's a less... Well, no. No, I think what it is, it, it's, uh, it's, it plays with it a little bit. But you do. You get the things in your wheelbarrow. You trade them in. Like, yeah. you fulfill contracts. You go to the... The, the sultan to buy things. It's You are running around with resources, essentially. Big yeah, it's it's very much full. a worker placement. You it's, can definitely put it in both categories. Yeah. But you, you've got, like, the the only thing that you have personally is a, where, is a wheelbarrow, which yeah. you can fill up with goods. So wheelbarrow and assistance. That's all you're you doing, basically. Um, Imperial Settlers, I haven't played. Grand Austria Hotel, I've heard good things about, haven't played. Last Will, I'd like to play. Last Will is interesting because it's a reverse resource management game. Um, I, have you heard about this one? No. 
It's uh, Vladimir Suchi who's done some other stuff. I'm mispronouncing whatever. Uh, but it's, it takes the idea and it turns it on its head. The whole idea is you're supposed to lose all your money. You, you have to spend like crazy. <laughs> so you're trying to buy the most expensive, ridiculous things um, because your, your crazy uncle has basically said, whoever is the most irresponsible, he'll give his fortune to. So you have to show, <laughs> I, I could be screwing up the theme, but that's basically the, the premise. So take the idea of it, like holding on to things and then turn around, you're trying to get rid of everything possible. Uh, nice. Uh, gallerist, that's an interesting choice. I don't know if I'd, like, maybe if art is your resource and you're trying to kind of affect the market with it and, like, make the artist more valuable so then you can sell the paintings and make more. It's That's a strange choice for me. Like, all the Rosenberg stuff, resource management, pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, Patchwork's funny uh, because I think of it, obviously you've got that whole gain and lose of buttons, but for the most part, I think of it as a tile placement game. Yeah, it's, that's a strange choice. Beyond the buttons, like 50, you're saying. 50-50. That's a... I'd love to play Race for the Galaxy and Roll for the Galaxy. Those are games that I've heard a lot of good things about for a while. Yep. Um, I think Race for the Galaxy is almost one of these games that people are more um, likely to have played online than mm -hmm. in person today. And I think Puerto Rico, again, a lot of people play it online all the time. St. Petersburg. Is that in Board Game Arena? Uh, it might be. It should be. It could, could be astounding if it wasn't. a fantastic and free game platform, BoardGameArena.com. Check mm -hmm. it out. Uh, tons of games have been up ported up into it and they manage it really well and they've it's a bit uh difficult to figure out at times but they they usually have a pretty good help section if you if you get stuck it's really and it's to test out a game it's especially one that hopefully you know a little bit about because god help you trying to fumble through something you have no clue how to play but uh, i think what were we playing we did uh, some jaipur on jaipur, that which was yeah. implemented nicely beautiful although it's i'm playing it like is that a rule am i not allowed to actually do that <laughs> yeah. some parts of it are just confusing to me but uh, you can't cheat. I can't cheat. It's not, uh, what's that Steam platform a lot of people have been playing games on lately where it's literally, Steam it's platform. just the cards and the pieces and people uh, build the Oh, Tabletop games. Simulator. Tabletop Simulator, yeah. I, I've seen some people playing it. It doesn't appeal to me. I think it's uh, kind of a neat idea in principle. And but you're able to do anything. Like, you could cheat in that game, like, because there's no rules implemented. It's you were just, just the stuff. The you're stuff just doing is it. just there. It's, uh, somebody described it as a um, uh, copyright infringing simulator because, <laughs> it, but I, maybe because Board Game Arena has, like, they've actually licensed it somehow or they're friends with people who make these games. Uh, I don't know how it gets away with what it. What they do is, and I think this is what um, gets them off the hook, is that they have links to purchase the games. Oh, okay. It's that simple. All you have to do is just, like, partially sell the game somewhere or help them sell games. <laughs> oh, is it time already? Wow. Yes, it is, Joel. Always a pleasure, Jack. Always a pleasure, Joel. Thank you for coming back on the show. It's been a little bit. It's good to be back. Um, resource management games, there's a lot out there. If you even have questions, like like I said, if you talk to somebody at Board Game Bliss or some of these reputable places, go to the boardroom downtown Guelph for the round table. Ask them. Tweet us. Tweet us. Uh, so if how do you tweet us? Search Android Dungeon Radio in Twitter or AD Radio CFRU. We uh, have an Instagram. And we have an Instagram account, which is, I think, think same thing, maybe? Some Search Android's Dungeon. Yeah, search Android. game. Yeah, and you'll find us. Hopefully, at least. Anyway, I'm Jack. <laughs> We're really good at plugging ourselves. I'm Joel. Keep listening and keep gaming.